Thank you and uh, welcome to the masterclass on hacking chemical processes. So um, I started doing ICS security before Stuxnet and before it became sexy. So I'm a true fan and not a follower. <laughs> so, and it did not take me long time to realize that actually control system consists of two parts, of the control system itself and of the physical process. And if you attended the talk of Strange, uh, Strange Love or Aaron Leverett, you already know how to find and exploit vulnerabilities in this control system and supporting IT infrastructure. Uh, but because of the physical component, these industrial control systems are also called cyber-physical system. And in contrast to the traditional IT security, the goal of the attacker is not in like data or information, but to get the physical system in a state desired by the attacker, like suboptimal operations, or to make the system perform in actions designed by the attacker, like spin the centrifuge until it breaks. So while the attacker clearly needs to hack his way and to obtain controls, I was wondering whether the processes themselves have vulnerabilities which the attacker can leverage to achieve his evil goals. So like studying the security of the, of the physical processes beca became a research topic. Um, while uh, one of the challenges of explaining the need of cyber-physical security is the absence of public disclosures about bad things happening to the physical systems. And um, what actually goes in the dark eventually comes into the light. So the December was full of like big disclosures about uh, uh, accidents leading to the physical damage. So, well done, Santa, thank you very much. So, the second biggest challenge of uh, conducting cyber-physical security is that you need to actually test bed of the, uh, of the process under investigation. And it, it is not only extremely expensive to build such a process, it also requires a lot of specialized knowledge and the presence of the specialist, and also a lot of regulatory permissions for conducting unsafe experiments. And on top of that, you need even more money to rebuild your test bed if you destroyed it in the result of successful attack. <laughs> so, um, so therefore, typically, such research should be conducted on the simulation models. So, um, at the beginning, I tried to uh, build the model myself. But quickly I have realized that it takes a lot of lines of code, a lot of specialized knowledge, and I'm too lazy to do that. So I decided to look around. Is there anything? And actually there were. There were few models, not many, but few. So for my research, um, yeah, and the problem also that building simulation model is extremely expensive as well. As as expensive as building physical systems. So most of the simulation models are proprietary and not for public use. So uh, the two models which I selected for my research were models of chemical plants. So why did I decide to study chemical processes or chemical plants? Chemical processes are large. They have a lot of complex interactions uh, and interdependencies. And um, it also, they usually model a lot of disturbances, so which represent a wide variety of, of different dynamic behaviors. So it's interesting to study them, and it poses a lot of challenges while studying it. Also, uh, such models are accompanied with uh, objective functions, like optimal operations, safety limits, minimizing operating cost. So having such functions also allow to numerically evaluate the success of your attack. So, what is the vulnerable chemical process itself? Uh, it is a research initiative to enable community to study cyber-physical experimentation. It consists of the models of two chemical plants. The one is Tennessee Eastman process. Uh, this is a realistic chemical process of the Eastman Chemical Company. And it was a process was released to researchers in a form of uh, Fortran code, but the exact chemicals and the equipment was not defined. So this model is best suitable for, for black box hacking. And so far, most of my research to date is done based on this model. 
Uh, the second model is vinyl acetate uh, monomer process. It's a realistic chemical process to produce vinyl acetate. Uh, all the chemicals defined, all the equipment is defined. It's an extremely large pro uh, process and much more complex than Tennessee Eastman. And probably understanding it will take you initially a couple of beers with your chemical engineer friend. Um, so uh, I will not go into further details about the process because I want to spare time to uh, explain how we hack the processes, but I'll tell you how these frameworks look like. So they all have a simulink model, which is like, it's a typical way how you model chemical processes and they can be understood with a average, uh, like moderate effort. And the advantage of the simulink model is that they're very interactive and it, it allows you to quickly change things and observe what is happening. So it, and, and it is very well suitable for, for the what if nature of the cyber-physical experimentation. Uh, so, uh, we created also a GUI which allows you to set up attacks on the com individual components of the chemical plants with few mouse clicks. Um, uh, the results of the simulations are stored as data which you have to analyze and also they are visualized in form of um, actuator sensor signals. Um, so, the process, the code of the process itself is written in the C code and open. So basically you can modify it to fit your needs. You can add maybe some uh, dynamic behavior and so on. But the execution is happening in MATLAB. Yes, I know MATLAB is licensed, but this is so far the closest what we get to the like public availability. Because most of the process models are implemented in a proprietary commercial simulation software, which is not available really to anybody, to everybody. And in contrast, MATLAB, you can always find it in the, all the academic institutions. Most research institutions has licenses and um, also in the industry. So there are also some other sources to get a copy of MATLAB. So, um, so today is the official release of them vulnerable chemical process, which was a very long <laughs> project and work. So this is the way where you can find it for now. Um, so there are, this is, we, we call it still a beta version because we it did not finish implementing the disturbances in vanilla acetate process and we need to write a very good readme. But otherwise it works and it can be used. And maybe like after the talk, find me, I can show you how it works. So, uh, obviously it was a very complex project and I'm not a single team in, uh, member in the team. So, who else, is, who else is standing behind the curtains? So, thank you very much to Aaron Levering for persistent fostering my belief in my own hacking skills. <laughs> um, I also... The thanks goes to Mona Lange, who motivated me to apply with this talk. Uh, obviously, the project would not be possible without generous and constant support of my professor, Dieter Goldman, who did not only provide me with all money I needed, but he also gave me freedom to do what I want. And if you think... <laughs> thanks. And if you think that he reminds you somebody, yes, he does look like Einstein. <laughs> And he's also Austrian. <laughs> uh, I'm also thankful to Professor Alvara Cardenas from University of Texas in Dallas, who taught me how to sell hacking stuff at the academic conferences. <laughs> so I'm thankful to my friend Ola, who designed and who drew the logo for the vulnerable chemical process. And the, of course, the vulnerable chemical process would not be awesome without a programmer. So Alexander is the, uh, is the one who was working mostly on the Simulink model GUIs and so on. And we spent a lot of productive nights in the lab. Uh, a big applause to chemical engineer Pavel Gurikov for believing in hackers. <laughs> So he is responsible for like monitoring the, correct, the chemical correctness of the experiment. And last but not least, uh, the collaborator is Jason Larson. He's an awesome hacker who believes in chemical engineers. He has a 15 years of experience in hack hacking SCADA system and breaking the equipment. So he's my Wikipedia for most <laughs> questions and also we publish a lot together. By the way, he, 
he promised to look as uh, he's now in the States, he could not make it to the conference, but he is watching us online. So, so far I'm done with the introduction and we can really start to talk about serious stuff. So how do we exploit chemical processes? So, and to start with, I would like to debunk uh, a couple of myths about SCADA hacking. So a typical belief about SCADA hacking is that you gain access, then some magic happens, and that's it. Success, everything explodes. So let me tell you. Uh, disclosure number one. Obtaining a control is not the same as ob uh, obtaining access is not the same as obtaining control. If you exploit vulnerability on a single IP-enabled device on the SCADA system, that does not automatically give you control of all IP-stupid uh, controllers and sensors on the network and also does not allow you to overcome all the 70 checks. Also, breaking into the system is not the same breaking the system. In order to damage the system, you need to know how it works and how it fails. So, do you know what stripper is? <laughs> but no, it is not exotic dancer, it's a stripping column. And you need to know, and you need to be able to recognize equipment when you see it. So, SCADA hacker is not somebody who hacked into them God knows what, did something, achieved something. SCADA hacker is, has a defined uh, attack objective, he's a human with limited, uh, limited to the real time constraints like bad management, time pressure, limited budget, own experience and so on. So SCADA hacker is a rational human and not a Harry Potter. Um, okay, so um, in order, like when you write your shell code, you usually put the set of commands to instruct computer software to do what you want. So it's similar, um, designing a payload, cyber physical payload, you need to pack inside a series of commands to instruct process to do what you want. And the set of instructions will depend on your, what evil things you want to do to the process. So actually what is possible to do to the process? So let's start thinking evil. So in a nutshell, all bad things which you can do to the process can be attributed in one of these three big groups. So you can, for example, want to damage the equipment, um, like either breaking it completely or just damaging. So that can be achieved in two ways. Uh, you can either like overstress the equipment uh, over the prolonged time. For example, this type of attack was uh, realized in the Stuxnet. Or you can also violate safety limits, obviously in some smart ways. This type of attack was realized in the Idaho National Labs when they remotely destroyed the power generator. So um, instead of breaking the equipment, the attacker can also try to damage the production itself. And this type of attacks can be roughly divided into three like attack goals. First, the attacker can go after the product itself. So either at uh, the attacker can either uh, tamper with the quality or the production rate. So every product has a specification and a market price for the quality. So the attacker either can spoil, make the product completely useful or, or reduce its uh, uh, like purity. And here, okay, sorry. So look at the prices of the paracetamol. As you can see, not achieving the desired uh, purity can be extremely expensive. So, um, also, instead of like targeting exactly spoiling the products, uh, the attacker can try to increase uh, the production costs. Increased production costs will make product incompetitive, probably Christmas wish of every competitor. So, uh, how can it be done? So, every factory has a, a cost objective function, which consists of certain components, which mostly influence the production of the cost. That could be, for example, loss of the raw materials in the purge, premature deactivation of the catalyst, increased usage of the energy. So the attacker can <coughs> go after any of these like, cost function parameters. Um, uh, 
The tactical also impacts the production by increasing the maintenance workload. What does it mean? Uh, maintenance efforts to solving the process disturbances and uh, to revisit the uh, equipment malfunctioning. So, for example, if the operator, uh, if the attacker will rapidly operate the valve, it will cause um, very damaging cavitation process in the pipe. Cavitation process is a creation of um, of the vapor cavities in the liquid. And uh, cavitation process extremely complicates process control and also it causes cavities, for example, in the valve. So after some time, the it will, uh, cavitation process will create cavities in the valve, it will start leaking, it will need to be replaced. Um, so obviously certain attack scenarios will eventually also converge into the same attack instances. For example, the, in order to damage the production, the hacker can also uh, break the equipment. But knowing exactly your goal will, first of all, help you to uh, design attack with a maximum impact, and secondly, to minimize your effort in designing attack, basically not to over-engineer it. And um, so far, what I've been talking, uh, those type of attacks will not likely to make the front pages of the newspapers. Why? Because uh, the operators do not like to disclose such accidents, damaging for the reputation. But if the uh, attacker really would like to spoil the reputation, he would go to another type of attack. So chemical industry is extremely and heavily regulated. Also, like all of those regulations, safety limits and requirements, they're all public, so the, the requirements are readily available to the attacker. So the, in, instead of damaging the production, the attacker can make a company just simply non-compliant. So what does it mean? And like non-compliance must be reported and it is public. It's like in aviation industry. So the most damaging scenario would be targeted at the occupational and envir environmental safety because this type of attacks will result in lethal accidents like human deaths and also severe damages to the environment. A less damaging attack would be on the regulatory pollution. This refers to the concentration and volume of the emissions. Um, so the company, for example, may operate perfectly fine, they are the optimal uh, economic operating conditions, but because of the increased concentration of heavy metals in the emissions, they are non-compliant. And uh, especially we know Greenpeace and community responsibility that cause a lot of bad publicity. In certain cases, the community may even demand company to close down and move the production somewhere far away, which costs money. This also pollution costs, like just to give another example, this is the soil and water contamination. Um, like a less known example, it is contractual agreements which results in contractual sanctions. It's, for example, <clears throat> uh, certain, uh, certain substances take time to produce. For example, the vaccinations usually uh, need six times. So if a um, health organization is planning a mission to the Africa and they say, okay, we are doing it in six months, you have to deliver the vaccination. So if the company does not deliver, it's a very bad publicity and costs a lot of money. So, so, okay, now I hope that you are motivated enough. So, let's start exploiting. So, and to start exploit, we need to find exploitable vulnerabilities. How do vulnerabilities in chemical processes look like? Let's take a look. So, this is the Tennessee Eastman process, find the vulnerability. <laughs> Difficult. To know, to, to know that to find the vulnerability, the attacker first needs to figure out how the process is controlled. So this is a chemical reactor, and it is controlled with a purge valve, which is kind of small in comparison to the uh, size of the, like to the volume of the inflow of the reactants. And this valve has a large time constant, 60 minutes. So it takes 60 minutes um, to, to observe, to achieve the desired change in the reactor pressure after the, um, after you change, like after you adjust the valve. So this combination of a small uh, valve with a large time constant, it's a severe vulnerability of the, in the design of this plant, and it's actually its bottleneck. 
And typically, there are many control strategies exist for this Tennessee Eastman process, and none of them is using this scenario because it's, this valve is not able to cope when the pressure will be uh, raised in the reactor too fast. So. Uh, the goal then, like after the attacker sees this vulnerability, then he has to start thinking, okay, I have to raise the pressure very fast in the reactor, how can I do it? And the fastest way to do there uh, is to switch off the cooling system because vapors expand rapidly in the hot. So, um, so if you want to break something, uh, a combination of a valve and a pump is a good candidate for a water hammer attack, a signature attack of Jason Larson. So think of the, what is water hammer? Think of the tsunami in the pipe. It's like a rapid rise of the pressure in the pipe, which leads to pipe failure. And you can then decide where to break it. So if you would like just to break in, uh, the pipe and stop the production, you would go somewhere in the recycle loop. But if you want to cause something like, um, safety-related accident, you, for example, can break the pipe which carries the acetylene because it's toxic to the humans. And, um, so uh, for production damage, you can find probably also to exploit the vulnerabilities or, let's say, features of the chemical process itself. So the reacted chemicals are, uh, from the reactor goes through the heat exchanger to cool down, otherwise they will keep reacting. So if, the, if you switch off, the, if the attacker switch off the cooling system, the, um, the vanilla acetate will keep reacting after going out of the reactor, and it will turn from the liquid into particles. It will turn into its solid state into the poly uh, vinyl polymer. And that will clog the pipes and the valves, and the production will have to be stopped for valve replacement and probably pipe replacement as well. So if you want to vent something out, so if you can see, there is a bypass valve in the recycling loop. So it seems like if you completely open it, there are a lot of other chemicals will go back. And we, God knows what we will emit. So this is how the vulnerabilities look like. So now we know uh, like what can we do to the process. We know how the vulnerabilities look like. Let's start planning something out. Um, so we will start planning the attack stages. So obviously, SCADA hacking is extremely complex, but you would typically have to go through the specific steps of it. So you obviously you start with a traditional hacking, you get an access. The next step is to figure out where I am and what it is doing. So what does it mean? So this is process discovery. So what does it exactly mean? Process discovery means first you have to figure out like, what is this process uh, doing and what it is producing? Even if the attacker knows that he's in some vinyl acetate production plant, every chemistry in each individual plant is still unique and very proprietary. This is a competitive advantage of each company, so the attacker has to figure it out. Uh, then the attacker needs to know how the plant is controlled. So basically the location of the control uh, valves, the control strategies used, and the configuration of the control loops. Um, and also after that, the attacker also needs to know how the plant is built and how it is wired, because he needs to get access to the specific components. Um, this attack, this stage of attack requires lot of information to collect. Therefore, it typically starts a couple of, like, sometimes in advance before you plan your damage. Uh, and it starts with the old-fashioned espionage. In the last three years, there have been a lot of espionage attacks on the, like, uh, energy sector, chemical sector, and so on. And there's just, like, this is uh, the citation from the report of the Simantech of the Nitro espionage attack. So the next step is control. So even if you discover that there are like certain valves and there are certain measurements, first of all, you need to figure out how you exactly can change something on the fact in the factory. So what does it mean that even if you there are some controls that not there maybe not those controls which will bring you the desired outcome. So you maybe have to think of something like how to misuse it in a different way. Secondly, it's not also necessarily that you will be able to get control over the controls of your interest. 
So you again, you will probably have to think way around. So basically, you will have to see like what exactly you can manipulate and how. And also at this stage, you start thinking how can you can hide uh, your activities and also the state of the process from the operator to prevent operator response. Um, at the damage state, you actually start implementing your attack. Uh, um, just a second. Yeah, so this is the damage that this is exactly where you, I, I was just wanted to see uh, if I wanted to say something else. No, this is where you start compiling your actually final payload. And the last step is a cleanup step. Although here it is like I locate, I put it at the last stage, but this is a step which you plan throughout all the steps of your attack. So cleanup is a constructing the forensic footprint. Basically, what do you want investigators to think about what has happened? So it, it goes through the, like all the stages. You start to think in advance, like to adjust in control logs and so on. So this is a part of the, which I will partially cover today, only these ones. And um, in reality, of course, uh, there are many more things to do while going through these steps, but if I would like to save some time to tell you really some details, I will not go into the details, maybe you can see it on the video, or buy me a mint tea of the conference and I can explain it to you. So, okay, so now we know what we can do to the process, we know about the vulnerabilities and we know how to plan, like the stages, how to execute such attacks. So let's start really doing something. So, and first, we need to fix a scenario, like what do we want to do? And the scenario would be the catalyst deactivation. So, let's say the, uh, you want to cause a maximum economic damage to the plant. So hopefully, this is already hopefully by now recognizable by you vinyl acetate process. And if the attacker wants just to cause maximum damage, he can just destroy the pipe which carries out the final product. And you're done. You spend all the money, you get nothing out of it. But that attack is kind of too obvious. And uh, what if you want to be a little bit more subtle than that? So we should do something in the factory. So the entire factory can be roughly divided into two big groups, like parts. It's a reaction section and refinement. So let's look in the refinement. Refinement will consist of a lot of different operating units. It's a big part of the plant. And so the, the attacker has a lot of things which he can do in the refinement sections, but also the operator has a lot of opportunities to notice that something is happening and to take compensating actions. So here winning, winning on this part of the plant can be difficult or challenging. So in contrast, if you just go into the reaction site and you just completely destroy the reaction in the reactor, then you basically have nothing to refine because you did not get your product. So that really sounds like a good scenario for the maximal economic damage. So, but how exactly do we spoil the product in the reactor? So for that, we need to look inside of the reactor. What is happening inside? So, um, typically like a bunch of chemicals is thrown into the reactor and heated up. So the reaction is happening and you get your product. However, uh, if you will not, without the catalyst, let's put it other way. So. Uh, if you will not control the reaction in the, your reactor, it will react in kind of a lot of different strange ways and you will not get your product. There will be a lot of different chemical reactions happening. So the control over the reaction is usually done by adding the catalyst into the reactor. That is a special chemical substance which will guide the reaction and it will direct it in the desired direction and it will also make sure that you get the right product out of it. So in the vinyl acetate, you can see uh, it's a um, catalyst in the vinyl acetate. The chemicals get in, they are absorbed into the catalyst, and the vinyl acetate is desorbed out of the catalyst. So it provides the surface for the reaction. And uh, 
vanilla, uh, the catalyst is a kind of live substance. substance. It, it's very sensitive to different disturbances and imperfections in the, oper in the operating, in the reaction conditions. It also has a lifetime, and if it's not treated properly, if it's not the right conditions created in the reactor, it will die. Killing the catalyst in the reactor is extremely expensive to any chemical production, and especially vanilla acetate, and I can tell you why. So, as you can see, um, so the main components for uh, producing the vanilla acetate is ethylene, but only 8 to 10% of the ethylene, uh, it, like the reactor is con uh, constructed in such a way that only 8 to 10% of the ethylene will come in contact with the catalyst. It's done on purpose because this reaction is extremely exothermic and requires the oxygen. Ethylene and um, Oxygen together under high temperatures create expl uh, explosive get, uh, danger. So, as you can see, the process is not very efficient in the way of using raw materials per pass. So you have to recycle it many times. Also, only 95% of all the ethylene which comes in contact with the catalyst will become vanilla acetate. If you think that it is a big number, well, it's not a bad number, but it is subjected to constant improvement. Uh, because even increase in selectivity, even by 1%, results in enormous cost savings. So if we will manage to, cat uh, to kill the catalyst, we will produce a lot much less product per pass. And it will also substantially increase the production of the cost, because you, the unreacted chemicals will need to be recycled back. Also, it will increase emissions, and if we will manage to build the catalyst, uh, only if we manage to kill 20% of the catalyst, that will already force the company to shut down the production and remove the catalyst and replace the fresh one. So this is a good attack target. Uh, so how can we kill the catalyst? Roughly, there are two reasons uh, which uh, there are two, let's say, dangers to the catalyst. It's a danger of the uh, high temperature. Under the high temperatures, the catalyst activation in first decreasing and then it dies completely, so it's ir irreversibly. Uh, and also, you can change the inflow of the reactions uh, of the reactants because the change in the in uh, inflow of the reactants will change the a reaction in the chemical process, and it will cause to, for example, the acetylene will combust, so less molecules will come into contact with, and also it will produce uh, some side products, many of them which are poisonous to the catalyst. So now we know we need, uh, is it to change the temperature or change the inflow of the reactants? So we need to find our controls. Now, so we discovered the process, we now we need to find the controls. So, um, we are now at the dis uh, discovery stage. So, um, how can we change the behavior of the process? So, the process can be changed, the behavior of the, pro uh, the process can be changed in two ways. You can directly adjust the actuators, or you can deceive the controller about current state of the process by presenting the controller with a false uh, state of the process. So, what exactly does it mean? Now, let's spend five minutes as a control engineers. So, the modern, like, the entire concept of process control is based on the concept of control loop. So, uh, and the design of the process starts with deciding on the set point, which is not on this picture, I'm sorry. Um, then I will do it like this. Um, so you, you decide, uh, so design of the process starts with the design, uh, deciding on the value of the set point. Set point is the desired value of a physical parameter, for example, temperature in the reactor. Then the sensor measures the current state of the process and sends the measurement to the controller. The controller has a control algorithm which decides uh, how to instruct the actuator, how to adjust the actuator to bring the process to the desired uh, state, to the set point. So if the attacker will manage to lie to controller about current state of the process, the controller will take wrong and probably harmful control decision. So this is what we want to achieve. This is one of the ways to achieve that one. So um, typically in the production environments, control loops are 
nested, they are very complex, they are interactive, and it has very complex dynamic. And somewhere there is also the operator sitting and monitoring the process. So if the controller, if the process runs out of the like expected production envelopes, then the um, operator intervenes and takes control to himself. It's called manual control. Um, So the next slide is extremely important because this is the main key conceptual difference between traditional IT hacking and hacking in the chemical uh, in the of the physical processes. So attacks on the traditional IT system typically does not deal with, uh, with time. You flip a bit and your software already doing what you want, unless except few scenarios like um, uh, a single flip. Uh, bit flip can change, like can engage the burner under the tank of chemical, but the reaction will still take time to complete. So changing the output of the controller does not immediately bring the process into the desired state. And in fact, there will be a time when the system will not respond at all. This time is called that time. And uh, the time which it takes of system to achieve 63% of the desired uh, like parameter, like target parameter, is called time constant. The attacker needs to know these parameters to be able to construct attack on the, on the physical process. Um, these numbers are extremely individual to each control loop to each facility, and uh, typically they depend on the type of the physical process and also configuration uh, of control loop. And the challenge is also that this is not the number which the attacker can easily espionage. So typically these numbers consist only in the head of the most experienced and the oldest process operator on the plant. So you either have to kidnap the right, uh, the right operator or you have to figure out these numbers yourself through reconnaissance activities. So basically, you will have to start turning things on and off, sending impulses to the system and observe the timing reactions and try to estimate them. Um, so um, let's stay for a couple more minutes in the role of the process operator. Yeah, so this requires reconnaissance activities. So this is the uh, IT infrastructure for controlling the centrifuge, the Stuxnet. So the very responsible network administrator is very concerned about how exactly the loss of in data integrity has happened in the network, which blinded the operator about state of the process. But the operator, sorry for my French, does not give a shit how it happened. All he cares about that this is a loss of, uh, of uh, loss of situational awareness, which leads uh, to complete loss of control. So, um, and you know why the operator was deprived from controls? Because the SCADA hacker needs them. So during the uh, during the attack, the hacker himself is a process engineer, is a control engineer, and a process operator. So now he is controlling operating the process. So, and in order to be able to um, control the process, the attacker has first to observe the process. So the process must be observable to the attacker. So he has to be able to estimate its state. And in order to be able to control the process, the, the, the process must be controllable. So the attacker has to enable all necessary controls. So controllability and observability are key pillars, um, pillar, key pillars of the modern process control theory. Uh, and uh, during the attack, the operator and the hacker, they have conflicting goals. They both want to have controls, like control the process. So the, the objective, the target, the goal of the attacker is, is to take controls from the operator and enable controls for himself. So, and talking about this controllability, observability, take us very close to the security properties of physical systems. So, uh, in a, 
in a security community now there is a very serious civil war going about what should be the how should we describe uh, the security requirements of the industrial control system. So in IT domain, it is CIA model, so it was suggested that we will be good enough if we just reverse it. So, okay, fantastic. And now tell the operator that he now has a loss of, a loss of confidentiality situation. He will stare at you with blank eyes. It tells him nothing. So we don't need to reverse anything. We just need to use the right terms. It's controllability, observability, which is accompanied by the third property, which is operability. It's the ability of the system to achieve uh, acceptable operations. So for the process control, the security pro uh, properties are COO or CO2. So Remember, CIA is for information security, CO2 for process control security. Okay, so um, let's go back to our process. So we need to find the controls. So this is a, a our vanilla acetate process, but now it also has a control structure, which the attacker has to figure out, not only finding the location, but how the process exactly is controlled. So what will be the uh, sensor and what will the actuator? He needs to find those couples. So um, here we found some controls, which hopefully could be useful. Um, and um, if, the, if the attacker does not have the exact mock-up of the process which he wants to exploit, he probably will need also to be able to observe the process, to, to be able to estimate the effect of his attack. So he needs to find the measurements. So we want to kill the catalyst. So uh, the, um, uh, how do we know how successful we are? We need to measure the amount of molecules of vinyl acetate in the reactor exit. So the chemical concentration is usually uh, defined with the help of analyzers. So there are a lot of analyzers in the vinyl acetate process, but none of them in the reactor exit. So what do we do? It's a bad situation for the attacker. So the only measurements which we have is, is only is reactor exit flow rate and reactor exit temperature. So, um, process observation challenges. So, if the required measurements are not in place, so what are your choices? So, you can easily build a simple model uh, of the process and derive measurements from there. So, you basically will be estimating. Uh, you can also try to deduce process state from the related measurements. For example, if the reactor, uh, uh, if the reactor exit temperature will decrease, probably then less reaction is happening in the reactor, so your catalyst is deactivating. Uh, and you also can, for example, convert a sensor in place to measure what you need. This is a work on prog uh, in progress of Jason Larson. You can also try to enable the uh, sensor like with certain capabilities, for example, to measure the shock wave in the uh, during the water hammer attack, you can for, um, usually the sensors are not cannot do not sample the uh, measured signal very fast. So if you, uh, so the shock wave goes between the adjacent samples, so you can increase the sampling frequency in order to be able to measure what you need. Uh, the other challenge which the attacker will experience is non-linearity of the process. So what is that? My students usually get mad when they try to understand that. So um, it means that the uh, reaction of the process to the input is not proportional. Moreover, the behavior of the process is different and unpredictable when you try to change it even for a few degrees. For example, the way how the process will behave while you try to hit it to 150 degrees is completely different from what if you will try to hit it further from 150 to 160. For example, this is the equation of the energy balance in the reactor. So as you can see, it is highly nonlinear. And the problem is also that the behavior of the process 
to everybody on this planet is only known to the extent of its modeling. We don't know phys physics if you don't uh, measure it. So also the controller will only will, will be able to control the process to the extent of the control algorithms. Um, also, the, uh, the instruments are calibrated to measure the process within some boundaries. So, and the uh, attacker will likely to push the process outside of that boundary. So, this introduces serious uncertainty for the attacker, and he will need to take uh, like this into account while designing his attack. Okay, so we found the controls, we found the measurements. Well, it's time to start exploiting. So, let's manipulate the process. And Ralph Lagner had said nicely about exploit, like about using the features to compromise, like the ICS. Okay, so are we pros? Yes, the answer is yes. So let's use it. So I'll show you. So yesterday, it's not your talk, sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, so yesterday, Erin has uh, Leverett has presented uh, how to find vulnerabilities in the switches. So let's assume that the only control which you got in the process is a code execution on the switch. Can you do something with it? So Erin um, also has managed that it's like if you have a control over the switch, you can cause denial of service attacks. So what does it mean? So for ex uh, for example, so. Like, as I mentioned that, for example, one of the way how we can change the process, we can deceive the controller about current state of the process. So um, that could be, for example, achieved through man-in-the-middle attack. But the CPUs on the switches are typically ex has very little resources, like very. So the full man-in-the-middle for each and single packet is not possible in any mean. So what you can still do, if you have a code execution on the CPU, you, have, you can ask Switching Fabric to forward you a few packets so that you look into the payload and you get to know the state of the process. And then, if you cause denial of service of the, at the opportunity time on this uh, communication between the sensors and the CPU of the controller, you can actually manipulate process at will. So in the IT domain, I, uh, those attacks means like the system does not do anything. Here, you can actually control process as you want. So, and I'll tell you how it happens. So, um, this is um, the typical controllers, like programmable logic controllers, they operate on the scan cycle architecture. So, at each uh, control cycle, which is like every millisecond, they uh, ask the sensors about state of the process and they store the measurements in the input buffers. And based on their stored data, they calculate their control commands to the actuators. So this is happening like this. We read the measurements, we read the measurements and uh, instruct the actuators, we read the measurements. And here we, uh, we uh, cause a denial of service. We do not route pack packets anymore. So at the each subsequent control uh, cycle, the, uh, the controller will keep generating command based on the last received value. And if this value is below or above a set point, that will eventually uh, bring process into some undesired state. Um, so uh, this work was we published already this work and presented already to the wider audience like just two weeks ago. Um, so if you will DOS the process at some like random time, you have no idea I DOS now. So if you can see this is just like I selected just few responses of the system of such uh, DOS attack on the uh, reactor pressure sensor. So as you can see the response of the system to such attack uh, differ greatly. So, in fact, so you need to select the right time when to attack the process. So, it's, you probably can relate. <laughs> so, our work was uh, our work was exactly on finding the right time when to launch those attack on the process to achieve effects which you want. 
Okay, so um, this is one of the ways how to manipulate the process. And so far we've been talking about kind of straightforward manipulation. We took actuators or we take the measurements and we try to change, uh, try to deceive the controller and change the process state. Um, but <clears throat> there are also more complex and interesting scenarios are possible. So physical environment is a communication media on its own. So two components, even if they are segregated electronically, they can communicate over the physical media. So if you get access to one pump and stand, uh, uh, set up a standing wave between two, uh, this pump and the other pump, you can actually influence the performance of the other pump. Uh, and this unseen state of the component will be have a hidden impact. We call it a hidden impact data. Um, also, for example, um, like the reactions are planned to happen in the specific reaction vessels because they also have like relief valves and kitchen basin if things go wrong. So what if you displace unreacted chemicals from the reactor and already send it into the pipe? Nobody knows which chemistry will happen. So kind of unexpected physics. And if you know the research of Sergei Bratos, this is kind of this concept of unexpected physics is similar to the concept of weird machines. Okay, so I'm good on time. And we now can manipulate the process. We decided, we decided already how we will manipulate the process. What else left is we have to hide. So we need to conceal our uh, actions. So um, I, I removed the slide, but I'll tell you in words. So in the recent uh, uh, accident disclosure on the uh, Tur uh, Turkish is German. Turkish, it's English. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, pipeline, that was it, they like, they, they damage like, like they destroyed the pipe, but the operators which were monitoring the pipe have to uh, like learn about the accident 40 minutes after the accident because somebody reported, hmm, there is a fire. So the attackers took uh, effort to conceal their actions to prevent operator response. So basically that will burn a lot. So what are the possible spoof scenarios? Like typically there could be the first on the the uh, possible scenario is record and playback. So you record like a good batch or a good day and playback during the attack. This was uh, used in the Stuxnet. But the um, challenge is it requires a lot of storage. So, and if you're somewhere on the small uh, microcontroller on a sensor, that's probably bad scenario, not possible scenario for you. On the other, and you can also try to derive a process model of sufficient accuracy and um, like kind of generate more, uh, process measurements on flight and send them to the operator. But this requires knowledge, requires CPU cycles to run the model and also requires the storage. So also difficult scenario <clears throat> may not be for sensor microcontroller. And the third scenario is just like craft your own signals which are which are very believable. So you just reconstruct sensor like process data features like because it's just normal sensor signal. Um, and uh, so we did it, we implemented this one, I will show you in a moment. And we also, this is just recently accepted work of ours. We will present it in April. Uh, and we also found the way how to de th detect those signals. So you cannot detect them with a normal like signal processing uh, tools, but we, we detected such signals through the plausibility checks, knowing the other measurements in the system. So if you know the other measurements in the process, you can detect that this is actually, this measurement is not plausible. So how did we, uh, how did we build our system? So first of all, you need to uh, reconstruct the believable noise, which will uh, replicate the spikes and the gaps in the noise. So we use, um, <coughs> uh, this, is a, this is the idea of the Jason Larson, so we use, uh, <coughs> to use a run test. So which treats sensor as a pseudo-random uh, pseudo sequence, it extracts runs, which you then build together to reconstruct the noise, and you can see it's very accurate. And the second, uh, we need to be able to reconstruct the dynamic behavior on the signal. So 
we use a line approximation to extract line dynamics and uh, like the, uh, again it starts with the learning phase you extract the mean value then you uh, extrapolate signal dynamics with a tri uh, with a line segment you learn enough and then during the spoofing stage you place together the segment around the mean so that it fluctuates evenly and you can see uh, it's quite accurate so um, and it's very evil um, so um, what is the future this is how I see the future. I often hear the argument like, well, but we are IT like guys, we are security professional. What we have to do with control, that's not our department. So my idea is that security specialists define security requirements. For example, think of the confidentiality. We the security specialist says that we need signatures for authentication and integrity protection, or we need encryption for confidentiality. We pose security challenges. And then, the, for example, the guys who can implement it do their job. For example, the mathematicians design for us the good and secure uh, cryptographic primitive. So it's no different with secure control. Find the problem, set, set the challenges to the control engineers, and let them do the job. Um, so, Thank you very much for listening. And I still have five minutes. We have still five minutes for questions. Yes, please line up at the microphones. And um, maybe we should start with mic two. Hi, mm -hmm. uh, probably. <clears throat> The best kind of to, uh, talk uh, on Congress. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just to point, uh, first, uh, from risk assessment, I suggest to use uh, three levels. First is disaster, second is economic, yeah. and uh, lowest is uh, reliability, safety, like sea level. So it's easy to show money. Mm, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 uh, yes, agree. Second, yeah. uh, uh, what we do in that moment, we put in the same model, not for chemical but for transportation and physics, uh, vulnerabilities. So you get graph, and you can calculate from disaster mm. to uh -huh. technical vulnerability. And do you take in account uh, CIS system in your model? Uh, safety systems. Well, there are safety. Uh, like so a negative feedback system, which... Uh, uh, can uh, understand what no, you... No, uh, so, so far, like, you only drive, like, you know your safety limits and you try to achieve them. Mm -hmm. And then the system shutdowns. Yes, it's shut down, but it's not a disaster. <laughs> well, that's the model. So basically, yeah, it's yeah. shut down. It's, yeah, ex it's bad enough, but it's economics. So if you want to be but real... I agree. Head, you see, for example, yeah? especially <laughs> in the vanilla acetate, that can be actually added. Uh -huh. So the model is extensible. So we actually, that's why we want to do it public, so that the community can also contribute to improve the models and which research questions can be studied. Mm -hmm. okay, excellent. Good point. And uh, one more point uh, about uh, automation. You use uh, historians uh, to learn your model. Uh, on the last slide, I don't get it. So uh, previous uh, state of the system. Um, well, it is, in, it is like in... It, in the MATLAB, you don't have the IT infrastructure, so the data just logged in the workspace. Okay, uh, one more point, maybe not for PhD, but for your next uh, uh, degree. Uh, you can de uh, decompile uh, SCADA and PLC uh, processes, uh, processing Verilog, for instance, and automatically learn uh, no. boundaries by historian analysis. Actually, for example, like this model, so also I was invited to NIST to uh, also to consult them how to build SCADA uh, testbed. And they exactly, they build the entire infrastructure and they just use the model to take the process data and then to pass it into the infrastructure. And then they already see what do you do with this process data in the infrastructure. Yeah, because this approach can be used not only for hacking, but also for security. It's like intrusion detection system for the process. And yeah, and many... Yeah, exactly. And many already do that. It's just that I, I stay as close as possible to the physics. I don't care about the infrastructure. But yes, the data from the processes can be used. Yeah, to so for example, to yeah. To model to detect attacks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent yeah. talk. Thank you.
Okay, um, maybe a question from the signal angels. Yeah, there were two questions. And the first is, have you tried to run your code on SCI lab, which is probably more or less a free software reverse engineering of MATLAB? Uh, not there is GNU Octave. I guess this is a like free version of uh, uh, like what is free. Let's say free MATLAB, and the models must be portable. But we still did not try. We want to try, but still not. Uh, and the second question was, if you uh, does the switch, wouldn't it uh, then the, to uh, prevent the PLC because uh, from the beginning? If you does the switch, uh, well, wait. <laughs> but you do not do the switch. You just drop the packets of interest, like particular data flow. You just drop the packets from the data flow. You don't do the switch. Maybe you can also do the switch, but I did not talk about that. The question is: If uh, does it prevent uh, the mesh when the when the you can't read the sensors anymore? So you also have a problem. Don't you? No, not the attacker. <laughs> I'm sorry for the ones still uh, standing at the mics, but we don't have time for any more questions. You can, uh, I think you can uh, meet up with uh, the speaker um, now uh, until the next talk starts for like, I don't know, five minutes. And yes, uh, please, yeah. Take it. Thank you. Thank you.